Welcome everybody to the Jay Davis Show. I'm super excited today to have Mel Torrey with us. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Mel. Great to be here. Well, I'm super excited to talk AI, robots, and all the all the awesome things you do. Can you give the listeners a quick background on your experience? Started in robotics about 23 years ago, spun a company out of the university, and John Deere saw a paper I wrote about robotics in the Department of Energy and asked if we could make an autonomous tractor that was safe. And so the first trial was have a remote control car with a mannequin of a three-year-old on the front of it and play chicken with the 30,000 pound tractor. And would our algorithms with the sensors protect the, the child? And so that was a success. And they said, hey, we want to do a company with you. Will you help us get to product in? robotics. And so I spun the company out of the university and took a team of a couple of professors, a couple of students, and we launched. And so ever since then, we've done robotic vehicles from five pounds up to the world's largest mining trucks at 400 ton plus 400 tons of iron ore or gold or whatever it's hauling. That's amazing. Uh, well, tell, I mean, that's an amazing kind of process. I'm sure there's so many things you've learned. What are, what are some of the kind of surprises or takeaways that you wouldn't have expected? Well, every year there's new ones. Being some of the surprises. I would say taxes was the first one. Yeah. Was just, man, I'm trying to save up for payroll next January, February, and I need to be fiscally responsible and save my money and the government's going to take a third. Like, ah, surely there's a break for a small company and you're going to take a third of my money and as a startup, that's rough. I think the, the recipes in the book, I followed all the best recipe books for a ton for successful entrepreneurship and sadly learned that that doesn't pre prepare you for the kind of head smacks you get from things out of your control, just crazy surprises and. And so I, I think I learned that the biographies, autobiographies of entrepreneurs are definitely the source of truth that gives you the reality of just, I didn't just follow a recipe. I took a smack here. I took a smack here and I navigated as I learned, I got smarter and smarter and definitely learned from those distilled principles from some of those books, but it is not a cut and dried approach. It is hand-to-hand -hand combat and surprises from everywhere. So I think that was a biggie. I think the third one is the, the celebration in industry and entrepreneurship seems to be the big exit. And there is no celebration around build a great company and oh. take care of your people. Don't sell them to the highest bidder. And so as you go to all these entrepreneur conferences, it's, Hey, this guy's a rock star. He needs sold his people to the highest bidder four times and made a ton of money. And, and that's, that's what celebrated and not these people trusted me. And so I built a great company and a great culture around them that could thrive and endure and win that infinite game that is talked about. And so that was a surprise that just, Hey, the goal is to flip this as fast as you can for as much money as you can. And that just didn't seem to be what building a great company was to me that endured and led the world and was a great place people would love to work. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's, uh, I couldn't agree more. I think we've over, uh, over, overly focused on the exit as if that's, uh, the goal it's yeah. every time I go talk to college students, that's all they want to hear about. Oh, what? Yeah. How do you exit? What's exit likes? And it's like, <laughs> that's not even, I don't even, I feet selling. I like buying companies, but I think that process of trying to sell something is such a huge pain. I mean, it's not a fun experience, I would say. Yeah. To find a landing place for your people that, that got you there. Like it wasn't just your brilliance. It was the blood, sweat and tears in the trenches that made this happen. And you were there shoulder to shoulder and they're all critical to that success. And yeah, so I've got offers from a lot of money for a lot of money to sell, but I've chosen to stay on the bus and, and keep handling those big surprises and take the risk of not sitting on a beach, finding an Island or whatever that. Yeah. You could be with all that money. Well, I think that's, I think that speaks so much to when you love what you do. Uh, it really is fun. The journey is the fun. I mean, that yeah. is the, the solving of problems, working with people you love, uh, doing, doing hard things, figuring out new, new solutions to problems. I think that's the, the funny thing that I notice. And it's even when I invest, I use that as like, when anyone is talking about, we're going to be billionaires. I'm like, oh my gosh, run away from that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Help a billion people. Now you're talking. Yeah. Yeah. Solve a billion dollar problem. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I love that. I think that's great advice. Uh, as you've worked with people, uh, what have been some of the learnings you've taken away of how to find great people? I think that's one of the things that I've realized it's so hard. It's so hard yeah. to find super talented people and putting them to work uh, in a way that's exciting for them. What are, what are the things that you would tell people that they should be doing with that? Great one. I think this is a great example of just getting out word of who you are, what your culture is, what, what are your values and priorities and dreams and getting the word out so that you can attract the people who are of like mind. I think that's, that's important. I think Alignment is everything to me. Like taking exit driven money is just terrifying that forces those exits because their motive is not the same as the customers. Typically it's how do we pump this up so high that within three to seven years, we're exiting for a large amount of money. And so as you bring in employees, how do you get them aligned to want this more than you do? And we've done that through an ESOP where we make everyone owners so that they're thinking like an owner. But I didn't do stock options because that pushes to an exit as well. Yeah. I need to sell so that, but no, an ESOP, the valuations were more based on the ability to pay out owners as they leave. And so I, I think you make better decisions that way. So how do you align them? How do you put bonuses and, and structures in place so that they want it more than you do as what I would say. And so then you're, you're attracting people that like that mindset that resonate with your values. So you're communicating those strongly. So when they're there, that they are making the kinds of decisions, the kind of priorities that you would have. And I think the values 
the mission vision values being very clear on that will attract people and then it aligns them in the journey and it helps them make better decisions as you go. Robert Greenleaf said that servant leadership is a practice in which you help people be healthier, wiser, more autonomous. And so how do you help people be more autonomous? That's right aligned with Daniel Pink's three keys of engagement that the mastery purpose and, and autonomy, if you provide those things like clarity to your mission, your vision, and your values, then they can be more and more autonomous. They can, they don't have to be micromanaged. They are all aligned in where you're trying to go. They can make better decisions. And I think the clincher would be is if you have the value of humble or psychological safety in your culture, because that means that anyone can come into this organization and bring value and that everyone, they are going to have a voice in every meeting, every team, and that ability to contribute is so important for, for people. And so if they can find an organization that has humble as a core, that they can immediately come in and contribute, be listened to and valued and have that autonomy because they know where it's going and they can make decisions on their own to contribute to the direction the company's trying to go. Man, I love that. I think, I think that is, uh, so much wisdom. Um, and I, yeah, that, I think that's such a difficult thing, but you see that difference with people who've had that ownership mentality when they feel like I'm bought in, I'm a part of this. Uh, and I think we're seeing also that right now. I mean, so many businesses went down this road of, uh, let's just all, only focus on the exit. And then now all of a sudden when, when venture money is drying up, all of a sudden there's this massive shift to profitability and build a great company. And so, uh, I'm, I'm sure the people who didn't listen to the, to these kind of warnings are, are regretting it. So I think that's, I think it's very wise, um, as you've worked with people. Uh, what would you say is kind of the key thing that you've learned about finding someone or even maybe recognizing great talent? Is there any, any things that you've learned, which I'm sure there's a lot over 23 years, uh, about how to recognize great talent? Great question. I think the first foundation is really hire for attitude and train for skill. I, I think that's just a life is too short to hire brilliant jerks. And so yeah. I think that obviously you want to, you want to find brilliant, humble people that can help everyone in the room, bring together the best solution. I would say the best are those people who can't shut up about, about it. And they have those side projects and you, you can see they've taken the initiative to pursue and spend time on it because they love it. Yeah. And so I remember one guy that was into 3D, 3D and user interfaces. And when he'd come near your desk, you got sucked into that vortex and he just had to tell you about the latest cool thing that he was doing or what he's been learning in industry. And then at home, you're hearing about those kinds of projects where, yeah, I built my own little robot. I did this 
a little uh, fun project. I think those people who do it because they love it and it's not a nine to five, those are your 10X guys versus your one or two X guys that yeah. are the key nuggets. So they really are, are that 80, 20 for your organization. And if you can find those key people that are passionate about what they do, then you take it to a whole nother level at your company. Yeah. I love I, that. Uh, I'm stealing that phrase. Hire for attitude, train for skill, I think is brilliant. I mean, that is every problem we've had, I think, with people. It was they they had a lot of talent and skill, but wrong attitude. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 so tempting and it's tempting to keep them. Yeah. Hey, they're so smart. And and yet, man, they took that guy off and he left or no one wants to work with them. And. He's so good. And he just, (laughs) life's too short. The cancer, you're going to lose those good, passionate people who are doing it because they love it because they're treated like garbage. And two okay people with great attitudes versus one brilliant jerk. They will bring ideas together in different perspectives that brings a far better solution than the geniuses. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Well, as you as you've worked with those people, uh, what are some of the things that you guys have seen? I mean, you're solving very complex problems. Uh, you're solving, you know, autonomous driving and and working on all these things that uh, are are far beyond what I understand in the world as a marketer. But uh, what are some of the the kind of key things that you guys focus on as you solve problems, how do you approach that problem solving? Uh, whether it's a big problem or a small problem, what are some of those things that people can learn? Good one. I think the having clarity to the problem, as you get detailed in the technical side, it's having clear requirements and even articulating how are we going to test that the problem has been solved. That's a key in some of this core development where you're deep into problem solving. Here's the problem. Here's what it needs to be able to do. How are we going to test that? If your engineers know the problem you're trying to solve and how you're going to test it, then there's far less micromanaging needed. And and then there's clarity. Everyone understands what exactly we're trying to accomplish. And then I think I'm a big fan of whiteboards and being in person. I have... Plenty of pushback from the introverts who never want to leave their basement again after the pandemic. I'm I'm really pushing that we come in one day a week and we do a free lunch staff meeting, town hall kind of meeting. And, and then we've reconfigured all of our offices to whiteboard and big TVs and meeting areas. And so they work at home at their workstations but then come in together and let's solve problems together and come up with a design and approach so that we, we truly have that one plus one equals three instead of these one plus one plus one in their basement kind of thing. So I think a team effort, clarity to what you're trying to do, the psychological safety humble, that part of hiring for attitude is that everyone is going to keep bringing their best ideas to a room versus they didn't listen to me last time. This guy's just going to get his way anyway. You just can't get the best solutions with that culture yeah. side. So clear, clear requirements, the clarity to the question we're trying to ask. How are we going to test it to know that we've solved it? 
good culture that has the teamwork. Those are some biggies. I think for me personally, when I'm solving a problem, I will take a run at it myself. And over time, there's percolating of the, the problem in your subconscious. I meditate every day. And I do find as I work on it early enough that the solution comes over multiple days instead of one session at a whiteboard. And, and so you're always writing down impressions that come. And, and then I will go look at best practices. I try not to look at what industry's done to solve a problem until I've taken a whack at it. Then I go and validate, learn from what else has been happening in the world. I think we've never had the access to the knowledge that we do now. And I just think of the difference when I was a kid where we had one library within 60 miles and 12 books you'd even want to read through your whole schooling career. Anyway, we have access to anything. We can learn anything. It yeah. would be silly not to go and learn from what's out there, but don't get distracted or down a certain path because of someone else's idea until you pour out your own creativity and pondering to it. Yeah. Well, I think that's, uh, there's so much to be learned there of, uh, having something to draw from. I think that's one of the things that I, when I talk to young entrepreneurs or, or younger people who want to be entrepreneurs, it's, you know, go work, go get experience, go try stuff. You don't have to start, uh, something right, right out of school. That's not to say that can't work. There's a lot of people who do that and that does work, but I think like you were saying earlier, go solve a cool problem, try and do something you're passionate about. Um, but I want to ask, I love to read. You saw my office yeah. probably for a minute there. Yeah. Big book, book guy. Uh, what are your top, like right now, if you could recommend a nonfiction book and a fiction book, what are kind of the two, the two you would recommend? <laughs> that is not a good question. I, I mean, for me, because I, I was so addicted to fiction as a kid that like Louis the Moore books, I would read all night. I had to see how it ended and I couldn't stop. And so yeah. I've had to ban myself from fiction. So yeah. I don't have a fiction answer unless it's anything from Louis L'Amour from when I was 14. But Great books. On, I love Louis L'Amour. I was raised on that. My mom had most of them. But definitely nonfiction. How to Win Friends and Influence People is probably the foundation for a strong culture, for a strong leader. It's just timeless in its wisdom yeah. and I I try to get to it every year that's just really good the Simon Sinek he came out with his books and I felt like oh those are the books I was going to write there was finally a voice out there for yeah. people first and humble and infinite game versus the big exit or that the the next big financial target. So I would say that anything from him really resonates with my approach and mindset to business. Yeah. And Beyond Entrepreneurship 2.0 from Jim Collins, I would say is just a wonderful handbook for the entrepreneurial journey. I would highly recommend that one. 
and he's the 2.0 is that he's updated it was written quite some time ago but after he's gone through all of his good to great and built to last those lessons he went back and updated the book and so it's got the the perfect basic handbook for getting out there building a company and building great product i love it that's actually one uh one that's on my shelf and I haven't read yet. So I need to, I need to get to it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Highly recommend that. I was sad. I missed it on 1.0 because it would have helped a lot because you yeah. mentioned just coming out of school, man, if you can learn from someone else, that sure saves a lot of time. His book definitely would have saved me a lot of time too. Yeah. No, I love it. Have you read rocket fuel? I haven't. Uh, that's uh that's that's i think one of the greatest like core to understanding how businesses are started and and kind of this dynamic that almost every great business has a visionary leader and an integrator leader uh you have someone who has the big vision does the big relationships and you have someone who integrates and makes it all happen and i wish i would have read that in college i mean it would have it would have changed, changed a lot of things. But I think that's, uh, like you said, sometimes getting hit in the face and <laughs> going through it the hard way kind of makes you more receptive to to learning. So The lessons go deeper, I've found. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, yeah. Forget, <laughs> don't forget the $10 million ones. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much for taking time, uh, especially right before Christmas. Uh, when we're recording this, I really appreciate it and and had so much fun. As we finish up, what would you? Uh, what's your request to listeners? Would you like them to follow you guys on Instagram? Uh, do something, apply for jobs. What's what's kind of the call to action? Yeah, I think if you're interested in robots, uh, go to asirobots.com. Come join a company that's trying to make an enduring perpetual difference in the world through automation. And yeah, we have a foundation uh, called the Wayne Julian Foundation and an initiative called Innova where we're trying to go lift regions out of poverty through Clayton Christensen's book, The uh, Prosperity Paradox. And yeah. he, shares, he shares the principles of how innovation and developments of products to those kind of regions as what lifted America, lifted South Korea. And so we traveled to countries like Africa and Guatemala and are trying to create products and companies down there uh, at, in our nonprofit foundation just to lift those regions. So that's the Wayne Julian Foundation under Innova. So those are two great options. Love it. Well, thanks again for taking the time and sharing all the wisdom. A uh, lot of things that I was like, "Ah, oh, that's a great, that's a great piece of advice." So, really appreciate well, thanks it. Thanks for having me, Jay. I love what you're doing. That's awesome. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Right. Yeah. Take care.